Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I'm happy that you've joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. First John chapter 2, from verse number 7 all the way down to verse number 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Holy Spirit, we invite you, may you speak to us, may you transform us and move us into the destiny that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Probably one of the best ways to steal in a shop, in a clothes shop, is to switch prices on things. So imagine there's that nice suit that you, you want and it's cost maybe 70,000 kwacha. But you know, you really budgeted 2,000 kwacha. But you got to get your suit, you see. And so what do you do? You find that 2,000 kwacha tag and, and you put it on the, on the 70,000 kwacha suit. And, you know, I'm sure it may be possible. You can walk out of there with the 70,000 kwacha suit and you only pay 2,000 kwacha. Well, that would be devilish, isn't it? And that's how the devil operates. In fact, what the devil has done, he has taken the values in the church, right? He has come in and switched the tags in the church. The things that are supposed to be valuable, he has made them to be valueless or less valuable. And those things that are not so valuable, he has set them up as something that is really very important. That's what is done with love. The devil has made love to be a thing that's not really important. And he has made other things to be very important. We see it around, we see it around us today, don't we? How today we, we, we make gifts and charismatic gifts and miracles and stuff like that to be the important things, isn't it? I had one person ask my wife that, is your kind of church like the miracle kind of church? And when my, when my wife said, well, no, <laughs> you know, the person was like, ah, okay, that's not that kind of church for me, right? But 
when we look at the Bible, love is something that takes center stage in what God has called us to do and to be. And that's exactly what John is writing to the church, most probably in northern Turkey at this point in time. In fact, he is basically telling them that you must be people that are walking in love. What is walking in love about? Number one, walking in love is about loving people. It's about loving people. Look, it says in verse number seven, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Right? Remember again, this is Apostle John writing, and probably Apostle John is maybe in his 90s, quite old. Maybe it's a year around 85, 80, 90, 80, very old. Most of the apostles, in fact, all the apostles have died, and he's the only living apostle. So on one level, he really is qualified to call everybody else my little children because he's the older person, isn't it? Right? But also my little children is a designation for him for people that are Christians. Right? So, you know, he, he, he says my little children and he calls them the beloved. Right? Beloved is also a, ver a, wor a word that is used so many times in this letter. He uses it about six times. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Right? And he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment. Right? It's not a new commandment. It's like the, the same old commandment. And if you've read this letter, you find out that John uses contrast a lot. Just like in his gospel, he uses contrast new and old, light and darkness. Right? And so he's bringing this thing to say, look, there is a new commandment. And he's saying, it's not a new commandment. It's an old one. Why is it made new? Well, because there's something that these people need to learn again. It's, it looks like the background to the writing of his letter is that there are people that have been part of that church and seems like they have said some things or they have seen of the, of them themselves as people that are superior in their knowledge of the Word of God, right? As people that, you know, are saying, look, that, that church, your church is not really that powerful. And so in response, he writes this letter, not so much as to correct that error per se, but to establish the Christians in the truth that they already know. And so, unlike maybe the letters of Paul, which are really directed at dealing with a particular heresy or a wrong teaching, and he spends a lot of time trying to explain that teaching, John doesn't do that. John just reestablishes the things that these people already know. That's why he's saying, I'm writing to you a new commandment, but it's not new. I don't know if you know this, but if it's not new, it's not. If it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. When it comes to the things of the word, if it's true, it's not new. It's going to be here. And he's saying, listen, I'm not writing to you anything that is new. It's a very same old one. But it has become new because in this season of the life of this church, you need to hear this again. Right? And so here, he says in verse number 8, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Right? He says, this thing is true in him, and it's true in you. What is this thing that's an old commandment, but then at the very same time, a new commandment? Well, probably, John is talking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 15, verse 5 rather, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love. And then also in Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 18, says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples 
when he's asked, which is the greatest of the commandments, he says, well, the greatest of the commandments is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the next one is as equally important, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two hinge the whole law. A lot of people think that the Ten Commandments are obsolete. They're, they're not operating for us anymore. And a lot of Christians think that because they think that the Ten Commandments were a means to salvation for Israel. The Ten Commandments were never a means to salvation. The Ten Commandments was the standard that God expected His people to live by. It was not a means of salvation. Nobody, the Bible does not say that you should keep the Ten Commandments and then you're going to go to heaven. No. But that's what the religious people ended up thinking. That, oh, I should do this and I should do that and I should do that and I should do that. When I do all that, then I'm going to be saved. It was never like that. In Exodus chapter 19, God calls Israel, constitutes them as a nation. And after he has said that I'm in covenant with you, that's when he gives them the Ten Commandments. So the law is not a means of salvation. You get it? The commandment is not the means of salvation. We keep the commandment because we're saved. Amen. It is because we're saved that we keep the commandment. And in fact, the commandment becomes the proof that we truly are saved. He says, this new commandment, this stuff about uh, love is already in you. It's in you. It's also in Christ. The Christian has partaken of the nature of Christ. What, what do I mean by that? Do I mean Christians are, are like God, like Jesus? Uh, there's no difference. Not really. But we have partaken of his righteousness. Amen. And so because of that, because we have entered into the grace of God as found in Christ Jesus, then we also are in him. So, he says here, the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Again, one of those contrasts you find in the writings of John. Light and, and darkness. What's, what's light? God is light. That's what we've been told. Right? That's what he has said in chapter 1, in, in verses number 5, all the way up until uh, number 7, number 8 actually. Right? He talks about God being light. So what is light is what is of God. Righteousness is of God. And so it is light. What is darkness is what is not of God. Therefore, that is sinful. And he says, the darkness is passing away. The darkness is passing away. I mean, it's like, John, excuse me. You're writing like 2,000 years ago, and you're saying the darkness is passing away. I mean, I'm looking all around me, and I'm seeing all this darkness. I don't see it passing away. If we've made any progress as the salt and light of the earth, right now we should be at the point where we should be very positive that the light is coming in. But John, 2,000 years ago, how could you be saying that? Listen, John was looking at a spiritual reality. John was talking about something that he felt in the spirit and he knew in his spirit that the kingdom of darkness is passing away. Do you know that's a reality? The reality of the matter is the kingdom of darkness is passing away. And that this light, this gospel light is spreading. Listen, my friend, 2,000 years ago, it was only 120 people gathered in that upper room that believed in Jesus, that were part of the light. But, upper, but today, as you look at the history of the world, this has increased. There's about 2 billion of us that say we believe in Jesus Christ. In this nation, in this very country, probably 100 years ago, there were not many Christians. But today, born-again Christians 
they say, comprise about almost 20%. The darkness is passing away. The gospel is winning. The gospel is moving forward. It may not be so obvious, but the light has come. So he says in verse number 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. The one who hates his brother is still in the darkness. Isn't it sad that in the history of people that believe of the church, there have been times when people say that they really worship God and, and they're evangelical, they believe in the Bible, you must be born again and all that stuff, and yet they hate the brother. I mean, that's the case of American racism in the South, American slavery. I don't know if you guys have watched 12 Years a Slave. Wow, you should watch that. Very sad. And you'd find that the slave master would actually hold a Sunday worship service and preach. And the slaves would be out there. I mean, right there, down there, apartheid South Africa. A conservative place. Listen, in South Africa, only about maybe 20 years ago, could you, where were shops open on Sunday. But otherwise, shops never opened on Sunday. Why? Christian morals. But the most racist place in the earth. At some point, you tells me that he walked into one church in Johannesburg. It was kind of like a white church. You know, he walked into there and nobody really came to greet him. Nobody showed him a seat. He had to be looking around until this one nice white lady comes over to him and takes him to a seat up there. And then when he thought, oh, let me say hi to the pastor because, you know, there, he almost felt like the guy didn't want to, you know, to greet him. Because by the time he got there, he had turned and started talking to somebody else. And yet he was, he was coming. I mean, look, if you're a black person in a, in a white place, predominantly white place, you can't be missed. You know, if you're coming over there, everybody will say, oh, there's a black man coming. But you know, many times as Christians, we don't understand this law of love. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, he says to them, how can you say you love people when you only love the ones that love you? It's easy to love somebody that loves you, isn't it? But as far as Jesus is concerned, love is not just about loving people that love you. Hallelujah. It says you greet people, only the people that greet you. Let's go there, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what we think about love. I connect with people that are like me. Isn't it? The ones that are the haters. <laughs> the ones that don't like me. I shouldn't connect to them. Isn't it? No. 
loving, loving people means that we love everybody. Hallelujah. That's the new commandment and the old one. That we love. Yes, we love one another. But we also love the world out there. By this shall the world know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. But love sounds weak to us, isn't it? Love is not powerful, isn't it? I mean, there are no awards for the most loving person. I mean, you have all these college contests and they have, you know, the most versatile students. The most uh, handsome or the most whatever. But never the most loving. It's not important to us. What would be the most, who would be the most loving? The person that's hugging everybody? Is love just a feeling? Uh -uh. Love is a commitment. Oh, you know, when I fell in love, that's why you broke your heart, you fell, see? <laughs> the problem was you fell in love, you shouldn't have fallen in love. That's how you got broken hearted, you fell in love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. It's a commitment. That's why if anybody is serious about you and being with you for the rest of his life, young lady, that person must come and make a commitment that everybody sees. On that wedding day, you make a commitment, you make a commitment, you know, I'll be with you in sickness and in health and da, 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 da. And that has to be said. Because when the sickness comes, it's not easy to love. When the person is getting old and you married them because they were very handsome or very beautiful, it's not that easy to love. If love is just a feeling, you get it? But if love is a commitment, you love that person unconditionally. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor that was for free. <laughs> that was for free. So watch this verse number 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Notice. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Now watch it. This is not just talking about just your brother as Christian brother. Or just your brother as Malawian brother. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Your brother is like your neighbor, remember? And Jesus said, your neighbor is everyone. When somebody asks him, so who is my neighbor? That's when he tells us the good Samaritan. I mean, it's like telling... A Jew today about the good Palestinian. Like, ah, oh, good Palestinian. How? No, no, no. Yes. And the point is, the Palestinian is your brother. The one that you've been told that you hate each other, that's your brother. And that's the one that you should love. Or that we would love unconditionally. Or that we would not choose and pick who it is that we're going to get connected to. Or that we would not have these cliques. Hallelujah. All the cliques, when church ends, people that are similar are together, doing their thing, talking their stories, talking about the scores, talking about how Netherlands did their thing and whatever, and Van Persie and all those, and Messi and whoever. He says, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Stumbling. That's where we get our English word scandal. 
Uh, English word scandal comes from this word stumbling. It's called scandalizo in the Greek, right? And it's to do something that will cause you to sin. So in other words, if you hate your brother, you are going to cause yourself to sin. Hallelujah. Do you know hatred doesn't start off as hatred? Hatred never starts off as hatred. It can start off like something that the person did and you didn't like. But you never resolved it. You never went back to say, listen, when you said such such a thing, you hurt me. When you did such such a thing, it was really, I felt really bad. And because it was never resolved, it starts growing in you. That's the nature of these things, of darkness. When it comes in, it has a way of growing and it keeps growing. And then because you never told that person about that issue, they do it again. Sometimes they don't even know that they're doing it. And then they keep doing it. And they keep doing it. You never told them they don't know. Or they can be somebody that knows. And they want to step on you. But if it is not resolved, it keeps growing. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. And it ends up being something that is hatred. See, friend, that's why even in church, in our relationships, we need to keep our accounts short with each other. Paul writes, he says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, look, don't be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? When you let the sun go down on your anger, you open a place to the devil. Because Paul says, neither give ye place to the devil. And it's in connection with, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let your anger, the, the sun down go on your anger. Right? And so, anger that is, that is unresolved will open a door to the enemy. And when the enemy comes, I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, you know, this person always does that to you. Oh, this person is so insensitive. This person doesn't care for you. This person hates you. You shouldn't care for this person. Look the way they're treating you. You should treat them the same way. John writes, he says, listen, whoever hates his brother, whoever loves his brother, verse number 10, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. In other words, he's deceived because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, that's what hatred does. Hatred blinds your eyes. Hatred, you're always looking for the fault with the person, isn't it? You've been there, you know. And you have an issue with somebody that's not resolved. What are you looking for? Okay, there he goes again. What's he going to say to me now? <laughs> Listen. For John, this right here, is the heart of the issue. Because when there is the darkness, we are open to stumbling. When there is the light or the openness, listen, we are going to rub each other the wrong way. You get it? Even in church, somebody will say something you don't like. Why? Well, because God is not finished with them yet. They're still in the process, just like you're still in the process. And unless we learn that we're living in a fallen world where all these crazy things are going to happen, 
unless we learn that when iron is sharpening iron, as it says in the Bible, sparks fly, isn't it? There's heat there. Unless we learn that, we are going to be people that are stumbling each other. But you know, what stumbles me is not you. What stumbles me, according to this, is my lack of love. Hallelujah. What stumbles me is my lack of love. That's what stumbles me or scandalizes me. It's my lack of love. It's, it's, my, it's, my, lack, it's my lack of understanding that you're still in the process. That God is not yet finished with you. And that I should extend to you the same grace that God extends to me. And like Paul, I should be saying, I will forgive you in the very same way that Christ has forgiven me. But do you know? If we stuck to that and we pursued that, it's not easy. But our marriages would be transformed. Our marriages would not be the same. Amen, married people. Amen, married people. If we stuck to this, our relationships with other people will be different. So to walk in the light is to love people. One. Number two, to walk in the light is about knowing God, to know God. And here, again, as he's writing, he's writing to people that are Christians that are born again. By the way, there's no other way you become a Christian, a believer in Jesus, unless you're born again. Because that's exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night. He was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. Comes to him at night and he says, Teacher, I know that you are from heaven. Looking at the, at the, at the works that you're doing, you, you are somebody that is sent from heaven. How can I inherit the kingdom of God? And he told him, you must be born again. He says, you mean I must go back in my mother's womb? No. You must be born again of the Spirit. You must accept Jesus Christ into your life. That's how you get born again. Right? And so he's speaking to people that are Christians. They're Christians. Right? And so he says, in verse number 12, he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know, whom, you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Right? Now, even though in this letter... There really isn't all the stuff that you expect in a letter, like Paul would write to the church at Corinth, from Paul, an apostle from God, chosen by Jesus Christ, something like that, right? There isn't that in this book. And so other people have said, no, it's not a letter. Well, right here is where we see that it is a letter. It's not addressed to a specific person, but, spe uh, but addressed to the general populace of the church, the people that are in the church, right? And so he says... He writes, it seems like, to three groups, the little children, the fathers, and the young men. But on closer inspection, you find out that the little children are not really part of this. Because he has referred to my little children in chapter 2, verse 1, and he means everybody, isn't it? My little children, I write this unto you so that you may not sin. Is he just talking to little kids? No. He's talking to everybody in the church, isn't it? Everybody who's, who is born again. Right? And he uses that phrase a lot. And usually he's referring to 
Christians, to everybody in the church. Right? And so the first group that he's talking about here is everybody in the church. And then he speaks of the fathers. And then he speaks of the young men. Right? Notice again, in verse number 12, it says, I am writing to you. I am writing to you. I am writing to you. But when you get to verse number 14, it says, I write to you. Looks like a change in the tense there. Remember? Grammar. Right? Remember grammar, English teacher? Right? Okay? That's the difference there. I write. It's almost like it's perfect tense, isn't it? I am writing is present. It's something that is going on. Right? But that's just the style. It's not like he's trying to address two different kinds of people. It's just the style. And he says pretty much the very same things. Verse number 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him You know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Right? So, my little children is everybody. My little children is every believer. Notice something about the little children. In verse number 14, he says, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. So the little children or the believers are the ones whose sins are forgiven. When you become a Christian, your sins are forgiven you. Christianity says, you come to Jesus, God forgives your sin. Religion says, you are not forgiven. Every day you should work toward your salvation. You should really be nice. And be good before God. And then if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going to go to heaven. That's religion. Christianity, real Christianity says, you are forgiven because you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, are we saved. Right? And so he says, these little children are forgiven, meaning to say everybody that is a Christian. But watch again. Uh, he mentions the little children again at the end of verse number 13. He says, I write to you children because you know the father. So the little children or the believer knows the father. Now it's not the way that you know Obama. You know, a lot of us, oh, I know. Oh, I, I know whose photo that is. That's Obama. President Obama. Uh-uh. You don't know him. You don't know him. You've never sat down with him. You don't have a relationship with him, isn't it? And so here the knowledge of the Father or Father God is a knowledge that comes through the experience in the Son. Right? So there's this experience in the Son. Your sins are forgiven you and the forgiveness, the forgiving of your sins enters you into a relationship with the Father. So that you start talking to the Father. We call it prayer. Not when you're just about to eat. Sometimes you forget, you start eating and then, oh, let me pray. Father, we pray that you bless this food and bless everybody who doesn't have any food. No, 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 no. You're not going to bless everybody who doesn't have food. You take your food and share with people that don't have food. If you want to bless them. Right? And so the little children, referring to all believers, we have been forgiven. And at the very same time, we have entered into a relationship. And then here's another category, the fathers. So we can actually say that the little children are all the Christians and then... Under the Christians, under all the Christians, are now these fathers and these young men. Right? The fathers probably are those that have been in the faith a longer time. Probably they're the ones that have come at a point that they have their spiritual sons. Watch, it says in verse number 13, I'm writing to you because you know him. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Right? So the fathers know him. Who is from the beginning. Not just know him. But they know him who is from the beginning. They have a, a deep relationship with him. 
says again in verse number 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, the sense of relationship, isn't it? You have a relationship with him and you have a deep relationship. You know him who goes all the way back to the beginning. And then here's another category, young men. So he says, verse number 13, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. That's what the young men have done. They have overcome the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. Goes on to say in verse number 14, at the end there, talking about young men, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So the young men, very vibrant, very vibrant. Probably new believers. Remember when you first believed? Oh, some of us, when we first believed, you could not believe that we're sitting here. Because when we first believed, we were sharing the gospel. When we first believed, every afternoon we're going out, trying to reach somebody. When we first believed, we were on fire. And unfortunately, we think, oh, now I have matured. And so now, I, you know, I don't do all that. I'm a father right now. I just know him who, is, who was from the beginning. Hallelujah. So I let all you other kids, all you new ones, just you know, go out there and share the gospel. Share the gospel. We've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. So what? You know, you, you go do it. Very sad. And yet, that is very true for a lot of us in here. We started off on fire. We were sharing the gospel. Nobody even needed to put a card in your hand to invite somebody to come to church so that they can hear the gospel. You told the gospel yourself. Amen. But look at the young men. They're strong. How are they strong? Well, it says, the word of God abides in you. So they're strong because they are dwelling in the word. And when they dwell in the word, the word dwells in them. Hallelujah. And it says, and you have overcome the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. You mean you can overcome Satan? You can. Hallelujah. Why? Or how? When the word dwells in you. Remember Jesus? For 30 years lives this life as an ordinary human being. Never sinned. Never did a single miracle. Until he gets baptized by John the baptizer. And he gets out of there. And the, and, and the father speaks from heaven. He says, that is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Isn't it? I mean right there. A picture of the Trinity. Father speaks from heaven. Holy Spirit descends like a dove, descends on Jesus Christ. Now, people say, oh, but you know, he's just one God. So the three, what was happening? Is this schizophrenic? No. It's three and yet one. And yet, after that, we're told, Luke chapter 4, or is it Mark chapter 4? The Holy Spirit led him into the desert where he was going to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. And you know what Jesus did? He overcame the devil. How did he overcome the devil? When the devil would come and says, listen, you are the son of God. You can just jump off the pinnacle of this temple and, you know, angels will come and grab you. Or he would say, ah, come on, you're hungry, man. Watch the devil waits for you on the 40th day, eh? the 41st day. You're finishing your fast. He says, okay, now you're all pumped up. I'm coming. So he says, turn that those rocks into bread. What did Jesus do? How did he react to that? He said, it is written. It is written. He quoted the word of God. 
So the young men are able to withstand the enemy because they are quoting the word of God and they're living the Hallelujah. You see, friend, the word is not just something that you use to show off to other people how many verses in the Bible you know. Uh -uh. The word is a weapon. When Paul is talking about the full armor of God, chapter the only weapon that is an offensive weapon is the word of God. Listen, it's the word that is going to make you stand in your situation. You and I ought to learn that when a situation comes, we should go to the word and say, what does the word of God say about this? I remember when you get sick. I mean, there's still that thought that comes that says, man, you are so sick. You're going to die, man. You're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, that's the time to quote that psalm that says, I will live and declare the praises of the Lord. When he comes to you and lies to you and tells you that you are nothing. You'll never amount to anything. Look and so and so. He's better than you. Look and so and so. She's more beautiful than you. You are very ugly. Nobody's going to get married to you. Oh, don't laugh. You're laughing because you don't think like that. But there are lies that the enemy is bringing into the, the, in, in, into the hearts of people, the minds of people. And when he says that, remind him, Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul knows very well. Because friend, if you don't stand on the word, that enemy is going to defeat you. You see, somebody is going to come down. Somebody is going to get on the floor, either you or him. Hallelujah. It's either you or him. So it's up to you to choose to stay down there or to stand up and say, listen, I, I, I am the head and not the tail. I am blessed in the city and I am blessed in the village. It's up to you to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows very well. It's up to you to say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It's up to you to say, I know the plans that he has for me. Plans to prosper me. Not plans to destroy me. When he comes and tells you, you are a failure. You are a failure. You are a failure. You tell him, I am more than a conqueror. Don't you know, you die of this sickness. Your aunt had this sickness. Your grandma had this sickness. It's just running in your family. You are going to die. You tell him, everything works together for the good. For those that love God. For those that are the called according to his purposes. Remind him. I have been given authority to trample on you. On snakes and scorpions like you. And nothing shall harm me. Friend, listen. This is the heart of your faith. This is the heart of your Christianity. If you want to make progress, you need to be a person that makes the word of God to abide in you. If the word does not abide in you, you have nothing to fight with. Amen. So this week, get into that Bible by yourself. Don't wait for somebody. Don't wait for the Sunday sermon. Uh -uh. Don't wait for TV program. Oh, the TV program is coming. I'm going to hear some word. You get into that word for yourself. You memorize that word for yourself. You stand on the promises of God for yourself. And everything else, everybody else says, it's just going to be adding on your fire already. Walking in love is loving people. Walking in love is knowing God. His young people have come at a place of knowing God. May God revive you today.
May, may seeds of revival come into your heart today. May you go back to the word of God. May, may you start reading the Bible over again. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, isn't it? Right? And so may you go back to the reading of that word. May you carve out time and say, listen, I am going to make time so that I am going to I'm, I get into the word of God and I get to know the word of God. Right? May the World Cup not be as important as the Bible uh -uh. or spending time with God. Oh, because there are people that are staying up at night so they can watch the World Cup. Some have been late at work because they were watching and they slept late. What if you're to transfer that to the Word of God? How oh, things will not be the same for you. Number three, walking in love is hating the world. Hmm. You see, you can't love this one and love this one equally. You know that, eh? When you love one, there's some things when you love one, you must hate the other. Why? Because they're opposed. They are diametrically opposed to each other. When you love one, you must hate the other. So you can't love God and love money. Married person. What if you went to your husband? Hey, listen, I really, really love you, my husband. But guess what? I found another guy. I also love him equally like you. When I love him, I'm not going to take any love away from you. I will still love you. Just as we cannot do that in the physical, we can't do that in the spiritual with God. We can love God and love the world. Watch this. It says in verse number 15 there. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now watch it. Love the world. But I thought God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him will perish. What's this stuff about loving the world or hating the world? Obviously the word world is used differently, isn't it? Right? And so, it, world in John 3.16 is referring to people. World here is referring to the world system. The fallen world system. The evil world system. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in him. See, when you love the Father, you can't love the world. Amen. When you love the Father, you cannot also love the world. So he explains now. What or why is, is this? Verse number 14. Number 16, I'm sorry. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Right? It says, for all that is in the world. Notice, is is singular, right? So he's bringing down everything that is in, in the world into one thing. Sometimes we think it's all sorts of different things. It's one thing. It's one thing comprised of these three things. Right? He says, the desires of the flesh. Now other versions say, the last of the flesh. Right? The last of the flesh. Because in the English, we have a word for negative desire, lust, isn't it? Right? And so desire here is used in a negative way. Sometimes desire is used in a positive way. But here, negative way. Right? So, the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? Your lusts. Your lusts. The things that are in you 
that want, that compete for attention from you. The sexual desire used negatively is called lust. You get it? So sometimes desires are okay, but when we use them the wrong way, they become lusts. Do you know? Eating can become a lust. Here's what I still don't get. Do you know over drinking alcohol is drunkenness? It's a sin. Oh, this is the part people don't like. The Bible does not forbid drinking alcohol. The Bible forbids drunkenness. Go read in the Bible. You won't find a forbidding of, 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 uh, of alcohol. I mean, Jesus' first miracle turned water into wine. Jesus turned water into wine. Into wine. The church has been trying to reverse the process ever since. Trying to turn wine into water. No, it's wine. Right? What's my point? My point is this. There is such a thing as moderation. I can't do it. Listen, even as I say this, I'm not a person that's going to take a glass of wine. I will not do it. You have to put a gun to my head for me to do that. You get it? Why? Because I have a history with it. There's a history in my family. My middle name, Chimera, means malt for making beer. Named after my grandfather's nickname. We come from a place of drunkards. You get it? So I'm not going to go that route. But I'm not going to twist around the Bible to make it suit my experience or my family's experience. You get it? Other people can take a glass of wine, they're okay. But in our culture, we don't do that. When was the last time you heard somebody take a little tot of cachaço after the ansima? No, they want the whole veremot. They want the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's what usually happens, right? And so many of us, we must stay away from it. You get it? Okay. So, a last a desire that's been perverted. So the last of the flesh, physical desires. The desires of the eyes. The things that we see. And the pride of life. In fact, the word used for pride is a word that's also used for bragging and boasting. Pride in possessions. Yeah, man, I've seen my car, man. Nobody's got my car. Nobody's got a car like mine. I want to get that phone. Nobody has a phone like that in Malawi. Man, have you seen the S5? Should have seen that advert. You can put it in water. It still rings. And you can even answer it. Have you seen that advert? Huh? You can put it. You, you, can, pour, you can get a hose pipe. Douse water on it. Nothing's going to happen. I, that's what I want. What's your phone? Is it an S5? No. I have a smartphone. You don't have a smartphone? You have a stupid phone. It must be stupid. If it's not smart, it must be stupid, right? So I want smartphones. I don't want stupid phones. I want to be seen like somebody who is with it. But you know, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6. When the serpent brought the fruit, the forbidden fruit, to the woman. And she saw that it was desirable to the eye. That it would make one wise. 
You know, the devil, when he comes to you, very same agenda. Three areas. Three areas. Where you fall, where I fall, these three areas. There's nothing new. He doesn't have a new trick. The technology may change, but the desires are the same. It may be pornography on the internet today, but it's always been there. It's last. He says, look, you cannot let your life be about those things. You cannot make God number one and make those things number one too. But you know, that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? That we're thinking about the lust of the flesh. About the desires of the flesh. About gratifying our desires. Our physical desires, our sexuality, our hunger, or our thirst. So we think, I should get really high. When I'm high, when I get drunk, that's when I feel like I'm on top of the world. And all that is really us refusing what God has made us to be. Thinking that we can be just like God. That we can be something other than who he created us to be. He says all that is of this world. Friend, listen. You can never walk in love unless, unless you walk away from the world. James says, why is there all this fighting amongst you? Isn't it because of your desires? Of your wanting these things? Because you want that money so bad, you do everything to get that money. Even if it means coming against your family, coming against people that you love, as long as you get the money, not walking in love. So he says, verse number 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. These things are passing away. Listen, the kingdom of God is expanding. The light is coming into the world. And the more that the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth, the more the light is coming in and the less the time for this darkness, this present darkness, the less the time for these desires that rule us. And so to invest yourself in the things of this world is to invest yourself in a team that is losing. To invest in... Brazil. <laughs> you get it? Why invest in the things of this world? Why invest in trying to please other people so they think you're cool? Why invest trying to fulfill the desires of your flesh? Things that are passing away. He says, if we allow those things to be the things that define us and characterize us, we're not going to walk in love. Many times, we're so busy trying to stop doing the evil. Isn't it? 
let, let me stop doing this. You know, I, I want to stop doing that. I'm, I don't, I don't want to do it again. Lord, I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I'll never do it again. And our focus becomes on not doing it again. Listen, the issue is not doing it again. The issue is really shifting your focus to God and really loving him. Because you see, all this walking in love is dependent on really knowing him. When you know him, when you have a relationship with him, he starts to transform you from the inside out. And he enables you that you can walk a, a life that is characterized by love for him. When you love him, I tell you, there also comes a love for other people. And that's what John is saying. He's saying, listen, I'd like for you to walk in the light. Not to just talk about the light, not to just talk about Jesus, but to actually live it out. And it's going to happen if you obey the commandment that you should love. When you love, you're not going to stumble. Let me ask you, what is the cause of your stumbling? Like every head bowed, every eye closed, while we're still seated. What is the cause of your stumbling? Maybe for somebody, it may actually be, who is the cause of your stumbling? I want to ask you to do something today. That person that you feel has stumbled you, may you forgive them before God. May you unconditionally forgive that person. May you unconditionally forgive that person just as God has unconditionally forgiven you. Now I want you to pray. I want you to pray a prayer releasing that person. Pray to God and say right now, Lord, I forgive so and so for what he did to me. I forgive so and so for what she did to me. For some of us here this morning, we know our lives are far from God. And all this that I'm saying seems so far away. Friend, listen, today can be a day that you too can enter into a relationship with God. That you too can become a little child of God. If you're here and you're saying, I want to become a child of God. Pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me my sins and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart. Empower me. To live a life that is pleasant. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.